Hello and welcome to Def Leppard, the officially unofficial Def Leppard podcast. And the time has come, it's finally come. After two and a half years today, not only are we going to wrestle the gigantic musical bear that is Def Leppard's 1987 classic album, Hysteria, but we are going to tackle arguably the greatest single side of rock music ever produced. And that is side one of Hysteria. And joining me are longtime friends of the podcast, Chris the Rocket Preston and Johnny Dela Animal Pena. So, Chris, I'll come to you first. Attacking this album feels like D Day, Storm in the Beach, but, you know, without the terrible bloodshed. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I feel like I might throw up. So, all of the above, but I'm really looking forward to digging into. As you said, Neil, arguably the greatest side one of rock music in all of rock history. This is going to be fun, and uh, I'm honored that you've selected me and Johnny to join you on this journey. You're talking of Johnny. Johnny, are you going to be sick? I can see you drinking a pint of Guinness. I don't know how many you've had, so you know you might be on the edge <laughs> of being sick. Are you giddy and ready to talk about hysteria? I am all of the above. <laughs> everything, everything. Oh, this is great chatting with you guys about this. I I completely agree. And it's not that we're biased in any way. No, not at all. Uh, but nope. this is definitely <laughs> the greatest side A of rock history. And I, I'm sure we all can relate. And this album is quite possibly the, the most important album in maybe our lives and this is the album i i own the most copies of i have it in everything i could <laughs> let's take the point that you've just made johnny because that leads very nicely into our first of our two opening questions to sort of kick this off right you just mentioned it being a special album johnny why is hysteria such a special album nice small topic for you to get your teeth into there <laughs> well I'll, i'd like to say it split it up into two parts. One is for me, why is it such an important album? And then the second part is why is it such an al important album generally? I'll try and speed this up. <laughs> uh, have to summarize this in a few words. But to me, it's it's the most important album in my life because it's the one that introduced me not only to Def Leppard, but into rock music. It's practically the first album that I discovered by myself or that uh, because normally it's like you're, you know, in my case, my cousins or my parents, you listen to what they're listening to when you start growing up. But this is the first band that I listened to on my own and said, oh, this is something that I, I'm really into. Um, and it not only inspired me to listen to music and to become a music fan, but it also inspired me to become a musician. So this is a very important album for me personally. And as the years have gone by and I got a little more proficient in not just as a musician, but, as, you know, recording and producing and all these things. This is an album that always, always have something to offer sonically. It's so important because it's, it doesn't sound like anything else at the time. And even nowadays, it's still extremely fresh and it's great to listen to. And you always it takes you on a trip. You know, the guys say it's kind of like their dark side of the moon. I know it's not a concept album, but um but it's certainly something completely different from what was going on, not only in rock, because that is very obvious. I mean, you listen to White Snake's uh, self-titled album, uh, the Joshua Tree, uh, Appetite from Dest for Destruction. Uh, I don't know. 
Brian Adams, Into the Fire, they also came out in 87. I mean, all these albums, Motley Crue, Girls, 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 I can go on forever. You know, there's a permanent vacation by, by Aerosmith. In the rock scene, there was nothing that sounded like this. It was completely mind-blowing in that sense. Even in the pop side, I mean, you had obviously Michael Jackson's Bad. You had uh, Faith by George Michael, um, Fleetwood Mac, um, Tango in the Night. That's kind of like a little more produced album in that sense. And you can, you know, it still sounds fresh, but nothing like Hysteria. I mean, most of the pop uh, singles or records from that time, they used a lot of drum machines and sample, uh, sorry, no, sequencing and stuff like this. And it sounds kind of like uh, mechanized and a little, you know, you can tell it's a drum machine. You can tell it's uh, repetitive and, you know, they're just copy and pasting, even though we were using tape at the time. But Hysteria just sounds, it doesn't sound mechanical. It sounds like a real drummer, even though some of the drum parts are obviously uh, programmed and things like that. It sounds so human but it sounds so perfect and pristine and, you know, it, it's clear. The guitars sound loud. There's a lot of guitars in there. You know, it, it's, I mean, we can go on forever. This album is just, it still to this day sounds uh, overwhelmingly new, um, perfectly produced. And it's, I mean, it's a testament to these guys and to Mutt Lang for do, coming up with this and just going over the top and saying, let's just make this album something completely different, you know, no one was expecting this. I mean, I, I, I made the conscious effort of listening to all the songs from these albums that I've just mentioned and a, some more like Danny Wilson and The Cure and Pet Shop Boys and Depeche Mode and Whitney Houston, Madonna, all of these things. And Hysteria just sounds, it's like something completely out of, out of this world, honestly. It does. I was in the car today and like some sort of omen, I was listening to Salute classic rock, it's called Over Here. And I'm getting it came on, and there'd been a load of songs before it and a load of songs afterwards. And even though it was like a classic rock station, it still didn't sound anything like any of the other songs that had come before um, or after. So it does have a unique sound. Chris, same question why is Hysteria such a special album? Wow, I've uh, I've got some this question for me when you posed it that you were you were going to ask our opinions, you know, personally why it's special. I had a giant list. I just started writing and writing and writing, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's so many things to talk about here. I don't want to take up the entire podcast on why it's so special <laughs> to me and yeah. so special to the rock community and to Def Leppard fans." Um, but I do echo a lot of Johnny's sen sentiments um, about the album, you know, sonically, etc. Uh, there wasn't really anything like it at the time. I don't think there still has been anything like it. Um, but to touch on why it's it's special for me personally first, um, I was 16 when this album came out. I was into music. I was listening to a lot of pop music. I was fan you know, big fan of obviously Michael Jackson and Huey Lewis and ZZ Top and all those guys. And uh, I started to turn the corner into hard rock probably in 1986, mm. um, you know, with like Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet, and I even dabbled in a bit of Judas Priest with Turbo and things like that. And um, I was aware of Def Leppard. I had heard Photograph. I don't think I owned a copy of Pyromania actually um, in 1987, but I wasn't a Def Leppard fan, right? And uh, this album, when I remember it coming out in Canada, there wasn't a lot of, you know, 
push behind it or I don't remember a big like the new Def Leppard is out because they'd been away for so long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first time and I can relate it exactly. And I still remember watching Much Music, which was our video channel here in Canada and seeing the video for women in August of 1987 and that initial riff and you know, this song came on. I didn't know they were playing women. You didn't know back in the day that it was going to just pop on. And this came on and that riff started. And I, my head, like, I was like, what's that? Like, I hadn't heard anything like that. And then the video, obviously fantastic. But I kind of got sucked in at that point. And from that moment on, I think I literally like ate up anything that could be thrown at me, Def Leppard wise. And when you're 16, you know, you're going through, you're, you know, you're in high school and you're trying to fit in and you're interested in girls and you're going to parties and stuff. And I was a pretty normal high schooler, but this for me was always like a comfort blanket that I'd put the album on. I owned it multiple times on cassette was the first uh, physical format I bought and I wore through a couple, but I'd always have hysteria playing everywhere I went in on my Walkman, home stereo, bring it in the car with my parents, all of it. And uh, I think I knew the words to the songs. Um, You know, that was in the day when you had to actually listen and write down because they didn't print the lyrics initially. Um, But I instantly, it was the first album I can remember developing such a strong emotional attachment to that. And I still can't really explain what it was, but it was a combination of you know, what spoke to me was the sonics, the sound, like Johnny said, it didn't sound like anything out that was out at the time. And it was so new and it was so fresh. And it just became kind of the soundtrack of my life. And I think what's really made it so special over the years still is that it has remained the soundtrack of my life. And I think the soundtrack really of a generation of kids who grew up in the 80s, I think it defines the 80s in terms of rock music. Um, I'm quite comfortable saying that. And the thing I love about it is at various points in my life over the last, you know, 36 years, 37 years that it's been out, I've gone back to it, right? Constantly. It's one of the few albums in my collection that I listen to fully at least probably a couple times a month Mm -hmm. in various you know, whether I'm just working (laughs) or whatever. And I don't think I can say that about any other album. So it speaks to obviously the strength of the the songwriting, the strength of the performances, the strength of the production, but there's that intangible attachment of nostalgia from that era of my life that has carried through. And, you know, I'm so happy I've passed that on to my daughter who is 14. And if I don't bring her to Def, the ne- next Def Leppard show and do the VIP meet and greet, she may actually <laughs> kick me out of the family. So <laughs> I see it. I see it constantly um, with fans at shows, and I'm sure you guys can speak to this too. And I think speaks to how special this album is. Is that when the songs from this album come on, more so than any other in the in the set, you get the biggest reaction from the dads there with their kids, right? The, the age groups that are so wildly different in terms of their, you know, the, their listening experiences and where they're at in their lives. 
it elicits the most emotional response from the crowd. These songs, which says so much about the quality of song um, that they can still over this amount of time have that impact on people. And 100%, I still get chills every single time they play things from Hysteria. I know there's people that say they don't want to hear Sugar again and they couldn't hear... But man, when Sugar comes on live, again, it speaks to the songs and the strength of the songs and the performances um, that this album, you know, has such an emotional attachment for me. And just quickly as well, why I think it's such a special album in terms of just the overall kind of rock fan out there. This was really, I think, one of the first big rock albums that transcended genres, right? Like, yeah. you know, John, like you said, like, there was a lot of stuff going on in pop music at the time. And, um, you know, we've heard the guys talk a lot about, you know, Trevor Horn was going to be potentially a producer. Like they wanted to bring in the pop sensibility or sense, uh, sensibilities and uh, kind of why can't we have that album that crosses over from there's even elements of country on this album, right? Like Love Bites was a country song, for God's sake. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it literally goes across the spectrum of music. And I think that's why it's connected and stayed with so many people over the years is it you've got country fans who love this taylor swift loved this album her you know mm. yeah, um yeah. so there's so many different angles to go at yeah the fact it sold gajillions of copies too makes it pretty special but <laughs> i'll shut it down now but i could go on for another 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> well i have got yeah. a second question but before i um, ask that i'll just need to wipe the tears from my eyes um you know my left eye for johnny my right eye for for chris you both you both got me there you both got me right we speak about hysteria being a classic album and it truly is joe often compares hysteria to many other classic albums so for example what he'll say is that it's hysteria is death lab it's dark side and the moon and what he means by that is that it's the album that they will be forever known for it's their biggest and most popular album in the musical universe what company would you personally put this album in i would definitely put it like in dark side of the moon uh sergeant peppers um going more into like the hard rock uh, era of or sound i would put it with the black album by metallica um uh definitely like uh dr feelgood maybe you know where there's there's a little boundary pushing more on the pop side obviously i'd compare it more to thriller than bad because it is more of a uh um ben had a comment that he was spot on on this he said this is an album that every song has its own identity but it still sounds like all the songs fit in the album together they feel like a one album and um I don't know. I, I put it like there. A garbage is uh, 2.0. That is a brilliantly well-produced album, and I I, I kind of like compare it in, in that sense. There's an an element here that most people complain that aren't like into hard rock or that say, oh, Def Leppard, they're yeah, this hair 80s band, blah blah, and they're always saying things like, oh, but Hysteria is so overproduced, blah 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 blah, you know, and it's like, well, yes, it is overproduced, but it's not overproduced in the sense that it's annoying it's just mm. so perfectly well produced that it, it's not like a sonic uh you know a tidal wave where everything is on you all the time there's so much space in this album that that's what makes the dynamics so appealing 
for me in that sense there's every type of song there's every type of arrangement and for me albums that have those elements are a few of them you know most bands just you know and it's justifiable and it's great that there's some really good albums that are just like you know played entirely like if it was a live album and that's great but i think that having this balance of production is very hard to achieve and without it like dave uh, freak from rolling stone said it it doesn't sound like a box of soap it doesn't <laughs> it sounds like a human album and it sounds so good so if i were to put it in categories like that i would definitely say with those top albums and it's not just a classic rock thing it's it's one of the best albums ever produced full stop you know you you can compare all of these really, really, really big albums, you know, as I said, a thriller or things like that, you know, um, you can compare it with stuff like that and it would hold up against any of those albums any day. You know? And I think it will forever, you know. I think the thing it does have in common with all of those legendary classic albums is the one thing that binds them all together is they're just as famous for the songs and the songwriting as they are for their production as well. Whether it would be Sgt. Pepper, that's all about production. I thought your call on the Black Album is absolutely spot on. I've not thought of that one. I think that's in terms of that was Bob Rock, that was production, yeah. that was a quantum leap for them, that brought them crossover appeal that they um, hadn't had before. Dark Side of the Moon, the production on that is amazing to the point that <laughs> to this day it still sounds like it was released yesterday all of these classic albums are classic because of the production but i think there is a bit of a snobbery and a sniffiness in terms of when it comes to death leopard where people think well you can't mention it in the same breath of them uh, breath as them well i think you can what about you chris what other albums would you say this is the brother or sister to i'm in agreement with you guys on a bunch we've already named for sure um i also took another bit of a different a little bit of a different angle to it as well in that, um, you know, like we've talked about, you know, some of the dark sides and Sgt. Pepper's um, are albums that are, like we've said and touched on, that all of these have in common the fact they were so well made, right? And they were, the songs are crafted so perfectly, the production's just, you know, spot on. Um, and each of these albums that we're talking about, in a lot of cases, define the generation from when they were released, right? So, you know, you've got the the Sgt. Peppers of the world. You've got the Dark Sides in the 70s. You know, you throw Led Zeppelin four in there, um, yeah. move into the 80s, and you've got other big ones, which I'll mention in a sec um, to get to the angle I took. You get into the 90s and like, you know, Nirvana's Nevermind might have production, yeah. maybe not, you know, lush and, but it was, it was a well-made album and defined that generation at yeah. the time. Um, so I kind of, I also went a little bit different in that um, I kind of really wanted to look at it in terms of albums that out of the decade of decadence, you know, probably the biggest decade in terms of when people were, there was so much great music being made across the different genres and people were really yeah. consuming it. Right. And that's when millions and millions and millions of records were sold. So I think it's a good measuring stick. You know, if you line it up with not only all those, you know, albums that are deemed classics by the critics and generally looked upon as classics, but when you throw it up against in the eighties, right? You've got stuff like Thriller. Um, you know, when you can compare a rock album like Hysteria to arguably, you know, well, it is the, I think it still is, or it's up there as the best-selling album of all time. Maybe it's two now, but, you know, such a classic, um, you know, Slippery When Wet, which was kind of 
the first big, big glam metal or however you want to call it. I hate hair metal, but that term, that album um, earlier in the decade, back in black, right with ACDC, um, Prince's Purple Rain, stuff like Journey, Ooh, Escape, yeah. um, Appetite for Destruction. That was, I got to say, the summer of 88 was mind blowing to 17 year old me with Hysteria, <laughs> Appetite and Van Halen OU812 all yeah. like fighting it out in the top three. Um, U2's Joshua Tree, another one, right, from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, Born in the USA from Bruce Springsteen. Like all of these massive albums, Brian Adams' Reckless. Um, it's just all, I think, part and parcel of, again, why this goes back to this album can be talked about when you're talking about different genres of music um, and being able to compare and have Def Leppard's Hysteria as a legitimate part of the conversation when you're talking about, you know, those widely regarded albums, plus the bestsellers, the most popular albums of the eighties, this notches right in there. Like it's undeniable. Right. So um, I think it'll probably go on to become more entrenched as being okay to have in that conversation, just based solely on what I'm seeing from the band right now and where their legacy is and the fact that they may be now more popular than they have been since 1988. So hysteria is going to be in this conversation probably more so I think going forward Um, always should have been there, but I think it'll stick around as up there with the best of the best. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that you mentioned appetite for destruction as well by guns and roses, because that has quite a similar timeline to hysteria. In the yes. sense that it's released in 1987, it does nearly nothing for a year, yep. and then it explodes onto the scene. Hysteria does more than Appetite for Destruction in its first year, but nonetheless, it shows how the the musical climate and the industry at the time was very different in terms of you know an album could just bob along for a year and still have a life. Well, now I think. You know, within six months, and if an album's done what they think it's going to do, you're moving on to the next one. So I think the 80s and the late 80s in particular is like there's loads of interesting stuff where it just seems albums just have a bit more space to breathe and grow. And I wonder if that's part of why they have such longevity. You know, the stunning thing is I looked this up because I was like, I I knew, well, we knew Rocket came out in 89 and early 89 and it was the last single. There would have been number eight, as we know. But the fact this album came out in August 87, I looked it up. So it spent 133 weeks on the Billboard 200 and 105 weeks on the RPM Top 100 in Canada. And, you know, that's from the time it was released to when it just eventually fell off. But you don't, like you said, Neil, that doesn't happen anymore. Those days are gone. And it's so complicated with streaming to, to take that into account. It's very difficult. I mean, Pour Some Sugar on Me is over... Uh, 330 Crazy. million reproduction in on Spotify. That's that's wow for a rock band. Are you kidding me? Come on, from the 80s. Wow, <laughs> no one's Spotify. They probably get paid about five dollars for all of those as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's at this point I normally give a bit of background to whatever album we're talking about, and I will give some background, but I will try and keep it brief because. If everything has gone to plan, (laughs) this is one episode out of seven or eight that are delving into hysteria. And as you listen to this, if you're listening to it as it comes out, it's April 2023. You may be listening to it um, afterwards. So 
you are going to get context poured into your ears and background poured into your ears at every way of talking about hysteria. However, I'm fully aware that not everybody will want to listen to eight episodes of a podcast about hysteria. So for those of you lightweights who are just going to listen to this one, we still respect you and I'm going to cater for you now and I'm going to give you some basic background to hysteria. This is a little bit like the game of bingo this where you could tick you could you could write do a card now you could write down all of the things that you think i'm going to say and then you could tick them off as i go through it and you can um, see if you're right so if you want stop now write down all of the things you think i'm going to say and then when you've done that turn it back on get your pen and tick them as they come off and let's see if you win this game right then okay so there we go. Hysteria was recorded between February 1984 up to early 1987. In this time, Chris and Johnny, I don't know if you heard, but lots of things happened. Okay, so here are some of those things. Um, the normal producer and mentor for the band, Mutt Lang, said early on that he couldn't produce the album, though he was involved in some of the writing sessions in Town in Dublin, in Ireland in early 1984. Jim Steinman, he of Bat Out of Hell fame, Jim Steinman comes in as producer instead. It's a disaster. He leaves after six weeks. Loads of stuff going on there. The band soldier on for a bit, self-producing it with the engineer Nigel Green. Then on New Year's Eve 1984, drummer Rick Allen has a catastrophic car accident and loses his arm in that accident. Rick then heroically recuperates, learns to play the drums again. I'm being flippant about it and making it sound like that happened very easily. Obviously, (laughs) it was um, far more traumatic and a bigger deal than I'm making out by going through it so quickly. And he learns to play the drums again using a bespoke electronic drum kit. Around this time, Mutt Lang comes back on the scene and he is going to produce the album. So they crack on with Hysteria, with Mutt Lang producing the album. The album is finished. 11 songs are done. Oh, but at the 11th hour, there's going to be a 12th song and it's a catchy little ditty called Pour Some Sugar On Me, which will play a relevance in the Hysteria and Death Leopard story a little bit later on. In the summer of 1986, Rick's first Big show back is at the Monsters of Rock Festival in Donington Park in the UK. And after years of, at best, apathy towards Def Leppard in the home country, British rock fans begin to take Def Leppard to their heart and they are received very well at this show. This then gives them an injection of confidence and energy to go and finish that album. It's released in the summer of 1987 and it goes to number one in many, many countries all over the world, selling over 20 million copies, or as Chris correctly and technically said, a gazillion copies, spot on, that many, right? It spawns seven singles, which is unprecedented in rock music at the time. It may well be unprecedented still. And the rest, they say, is history. 62 minutes and 32 seconds of near perfection. Or perfection. Johnny, Chris, are you ready to discuss these tracks? Yes, yes. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, I feel like I feel like I need to start this one by going. Okay, right. <laughs> Yeah. 
Women. Okay, that's track number one. So the album opens with Women. And funnily enough, this gives us probably the only negative blip in what is an overwhelmingly successful hysteria story. And that's just simply because Women was released first as the debut single off the album in the USA on the 25th of August, 1987. And it charts at a disappointingly low number 80 in the US Billboard Hot 100. So, Chris, the chart position of women maligns it. There is a little bit of a negative slant in that in this hysteria story. However, does that does that chart success really tell us about this song? No, I don't think so. So it's still I have a hard time kind of wrapping my head around why I've I've tried to, you know, why didn't women so in Canada, Neil, it didn't even chart. We got it too as single number one. I still have the 45 I bought shortly after I saw the video. And in Canada, it didn't chart on our our singles chart, but it did chart at number five, I think, on the Billboard Rock chart. So what I think happened was, and this has probably been said by Joe, so I won't keep on the guys many times, is that it was kind of like it was people had forgotten who Def Leppard was after being gone for so long. And for whatever reason, um, the management team, you know, wanted women in North America um, to be the first single because they wanted more of a bit of a harder edge than Animal yeah. was in the UK, right? And we've we've heard this before, but I think it's I've always placed it on my favorite songs on the album. I mean, they're all my favorite songs, but yeah. I've it's always been a favorite of mine because I think the guitar work is brilliant. Yeah, the lyrics, you know, it, I was reading a bit about what it, it was a mutt song that was brought to them initially, and he wanted to kind of like celebrate women. And it was supposed to be this kind of a this kind of a song. But it's it's brilliantly put together. Um, I love the transition of the song from that opening riff, especially, you know, this song as the opener on the Viva Hysteria tour with Phil on the platform. Um, I mean, it's just killer, right? You're I got chills. I went and actually saw that in the movie theater here and watching it on a big screen when, when that starts and that riff kicks in, I had like chills, goosebumps. So I think it's one of the stronger songs on the album still. Um, I love the, I love the guitar work in the outro, um, the solos. Um, It's got that kind of like driving pulsing keyboard too, that's going on. Right. That um, I think probably what happened was that, you know, people who weren't Def Leppard fans didn't bother with it at all. And it may have possibly, I think, maybe alienated some of the hardcore Def Leppard fans in the sense that, again, remember, Pyromania was, you know, four years old. They didn't want to make Pyromania 2. This was a complete 180 away from that sound of album. And we run into the guys on Twitter all the time, right, guys, about, oh, everything after Pyromania is crap. So <laughs> I think those guys had already kind of left the building. And so this song kind of flew out there into the, like, abyss. There, It wasn't played on radio. It wasn't played on radio, like Top 40 radio. It was played on, I guess, some rock radio in the U.S. And the video was on, but it kind of died a quick death. But again, this... I think should be in the set list more frequently. Um, it gets a great reception live yeah. Um, yeah. when it is played. 
And as an opener, I mean, we're going to go through the songs on obviously all of side one, but there's like three or four perfect set list openers in here for me. And I think Women is probably the most maligned song on side one on the album um, and probably the one that I think more people now, and especially the the hardcore fans like us of this album, have kind of gone back and went, hey, you know what? We didn't maybe give women enough of a shake at the outset, and we need to give it its due because to this day, like I said, it still is um, a fantastic song in my book and uh, deserves a little bit more kind of respect, shall we say, amongst the uh, the, uh, the, so- the rest of the songs on this album. But it would have been interesting. I, I'm just going to bring this up quickly because it wasn't released. I think it might have been released in Australia, but it never came out in the UK or Europe. I'm wondering what would have happened if this had come out as one of the subsequent singles. Like, imagine if this might have been released after Sugar. Would there have been more of a reception for it? More, It would have it charted higher? I've always kind of wondered that, and I think it probably would have. I think so. And as a contributor to this podcast who's been on before and will be on again, who I know for a fact that this is his favorite Devil Up song. This song. And Johnny, from that opening guitar section and then even the lyrics, you know, in the beginning. I mean, this this is the start of a story and the story is hysteria, isn't it? Oh, yeah. What a way to open an album. You know, that riff is just right? you. I, I was the first time I heard it was very strong. And as it fades in, you know, kind of like the, the riff when it comes in and then the, the drums enter, you know, guitars and everything. And this pulse and everything, it's just driving you. What a way to start an album out. And as many people argue, I don't I don't share this opinion, but if this is the weakest and I say that. if this is the weakest song on side a wow (laughs) is there anything in particular about this song johnny that sort of stands out for you now that if you listen to this with headphones and you know the the opening riff the um underneath that (laughs) exactly you get the chills and there's a little guitar there going But yeah, that that little riff going underneath—it's you can you can hear it subtly, but it's great because it's going to bring you into that. And Joe screaming underneath that little riff and everything—it just—it's so melodic, it's memorable, it's strong uh, sonically. You get this ambience, you know, kind of like of an intro. If it was like just the intro to the album, and then it kicks in. Um, you know what? I never initially, Johnny. You mentioned that Joe's high, it's so blended in just beautifully with that high guitar, like you said, that like when back in the day when I first heard this, I actually didn't even realize, I did not watch the video, obviously, but I didn't realize that Joe was actually like doing that high scream. It's amazing. The fact that it, again, this speaks to the production and the way they mix the song. Um, like he's perfectly in tune and in line with that high guitar that's playing. And it just adds to the overall effect. Like, who does this? <laughs> yeah. And and that's going to happen all around the album all the time. This kind of like blending of melodic singing with the guitar, just doubling right. that up and everything, you know. And there's um, this whole, obviously, the, the chorus is very strong and the backing vocals are, I don't know if the, the guys were the ones who defined this like terrorist football 
you know, something like that. That's so strong. Obviously, the overdubbing, so many of them, but it's also melodic and strong. And I think it's a great hard rock song. This women kind of like, okay, we're establishing that Def Leppard is here. We know what they did in Pyromania and they're coming back and everything. And it's a a great way to start off the album, you know, to kind of get in the old fans into we're still here. We're still a hard rock band. But we're still going to take you on a trip that you are not expecting, because I don't think that anyone, even the hardcore fans, were expecting what was going to come after women. And I completely agree that little that well, not little, but the last part of the song, the instrumental part, it goes through so many chord changes and and everything. It's very it's a busy uh, arrangement, but it's really cool. It's really, really cool, cool. You know, so cool. And um I don't know if you've noticed, but there's there's not that many solos in Hysteria. So inside, there's melodic things and melodic lines, which I think is great. It it talks about their maturity and just playing for the song, because obviously all the songs are great. And, you know, let's figure out what helps the song and it just not blaze like a a million guitar notes, which will just get in the way and it won't make anything better. You know, it's funny that you say about the guitars, because I think if you're not listening properly it doesn't sound like a big big guitar album and that's because there isn't that many the songs aren't formed around you know big riffs don't get me wrong i'm again it is boss with sugar on me we've got the bit at the start and what have you so but i think if you're just listening a normal sort of 70s 80s classic rock way you would think oh no there's not that many guitars in this but Oh my god! There's millions of guitars, but they're just being used in a very different way, aren't they? And that's sort of yeah. Phil Collins, Steve Clark way in which the guitars are very much orchestrated, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to it's you know meat and potatoes sort of seventies, eighties rock riffs, and then you just base a song um, around the riff. Do you know what part I love in this song? Is that break where it goes legs, eyes, skin yes. on skin. <laughs> And I like it when they do that live, especially on In The Round In Your Face and then they stop. And I'm trying to keep on track, but In The Round In Your Face, there's loads of bits on that, that show where they just stop in the middle of songs um, and just let the, the crowd cheer and go mad. And women is, I think, one of the first ones where they just stop the song in the middle of it. I just want to ask you guys a little question that I've prepared for a little bit of every song. Uh, this is... One of the albums where there's most misheard lyrics on the internet. I've looked it up and literally there's a whole bunch of things, but I don't know if you, <laughs> and since there's no lyric sheet for this album, I That's mean, right. you kind of like had to listen. And and in my case, English is, is not our, se- our first language in, in Mexico, you know, so you kind of listen to it and you're going like, Oh, I think it's saying this and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know for you guys in this case, in women that, uh, that same part that you're saying, Neil, the first time I heard it, I th- or, for a long time, I thought it said instead of hair, eyes, skin, on t- skin, blah, blah, blah. I thought it said hell, ice. That was my first one. And it was a nightmare trying to figure yeah. out what the lyrics said on this album. Okay, let's do a public service here for all of the, the children and the mums and dads who are listening to Def Lep Pod today. And let's try and clarify some of these ones. I am terrible. The first few lines in Animal. 
<laughs> I've been singing that wrong for years. I don't even know. I know what it says. See, even I just got it wrong. Then when I when I tried to illustrate the bit I like, I just got it totally wrong. So you're right. It's it's her eyes, skin on skin, legs, legs, legs thighs, and then it says, and you know what? I never knew what what's that spell. I thought it was. I always that smell. I did initially. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. I think I just heard it as what's that smell. Like, just a noise. But yeah, it's astonishing how we're talking about this album and how much you love this album and it's just part of our DNA. But it's incredible how I don't actually definitely know all of the words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's one song in particular that the internet has it like one of the rock's most misheard lyrics, which I think we will figure it out. You can you figure out which it is, but we'll get to that. I'll, I'll mention that when when we get to that song. <laughs> Sugar Sugar's full of it, man. Oh yeah, and it's <laughs> hilarious. I mean, there's so many things online, videos, and oh. everything that are just hilarious. The funniest one, and we'll go off that leopard for two seconds here. The funniest one for uh, just impossible to understand lyrics. I mean, it puts all of these hysteria songs in the dust. Is Pearl Jam's Yellow Lep better? Um, oh yeah. If you just oh, if you just go and YouTube Pearl Jam Yellow Better lyrics or something. Oh, the someone was so funny in terms of like you know they put the words across the bottom, which they blatantly he blatantly isn't saying. But when you read it and listen to it at the same time, you hear it. It's like you know it's it's fantastic. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll put that up against Fallout Boy. Sugar, you're going down. Or sugar, that's another one. But anyways, moving on. <laughs> Great. Okay. Yes, moving on. Second on the album, but the final single released is Rocket. It was released in January or March 1989, depending on where you are or where you were in the world. And by the way, like all of the songs on here, writing credits go to, in whatever order it may be, and it moves around, but it's always Elliot, Clark, Colin, Savage, and Lang. So, Johnny, we, we spoke then about women, you know, sounding very different. And I think we're going to say this for at least at least half of this album and maybe a lot of the songs on this side of the album. This song really is quite a different type of Death Leopard song to anything that we've heard them do before, isn't it? the songwriting is incredible for this and the production is over the top in in this case the sequencing and all these things that some people now may take for granted that whole middle section at the time as the guys have uh, explained it was really complicated to do that thing and and it was complicated because you had to trigger these sounds record them process them and all these things put them backwards and, and stuff like that and it's just a trip this song is a real trip the drums, obviously, well, all the vocal part at the beginning is really impressive, but the drums are just like, it's taking you somewhere else. And coming out from women that is more hard rock, this is completely unexpected. And that that whole riff, when it comes in, it, it's... Uh, um, you know, all that thing, it's, it's really cool. And, and it just builds on that. And that part, when it comes to the chorus and the 
vocals come in and it's just really strong but there's this big space there's silence what i was talking about you know no guitars on the chorus and uh, you know they come in after the second part and it's just great i mean it's completely unexpected the other thing is you you know there i didn't know at the time obviously this is when we go into the details of the album, when we're going through the classic rock and blah, 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 documentary and everything. But this is all a drum machine. Those, that's a drum machine. And it doesn't sound like a drum machine. It sounds, uh, and there's, I know there's all other stuff there recorded on top to make it sound more natural and everything, but it's still, I mean, wow, there's so much depth to this song and the, this melodic line in the middle that, well, 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 Another thing, the guitars with the vocals, you know, getting this melodic sense of, uh, you know, every there's a hook on every part of this side or this album. And this song, I mean, it has to be that way, because if not, it would get lost. But this is an awesome sound, an awesome song to listen to and to listen to it live. I don't know. I, I've heard a better reception for a song than that rock you goosebumps when you hear everyone in the arena or the stadium or whatever just going rocket and i've just seen them right now in mexico and this is the first time they played a stadium in mexico which was really mind-blowing to me as a fan but just to get to see you know and i have a video that i'll, I'll, I'll share with you guys but just looking back at the stadium and the lights out and every everyone with their hands up and going rocket it's, it was just like it really brought me to tears and and because it's obviously my favorite band, but the energy and you could see the guys were overwhelmed by the reaction. And I know this is a great song and it's a shame they didn't play it during the first part of the Hysteria tour. But this is a, this was song was made to be played live, Agreed. even though it was conceived as a studio song. This is a great live song. So, you know what? This song to me has over the years come to, I think, almost define what this album is about in terms of what I mean is this takes everything on hysteria in one six minute and 36 seconds track and is like the pinnacle of Def Leppard if you know what I mean and by it's got huge riffs it's got the mind-blowing production and all the bits and bobs that Johnny mentioned with they've put together and melded into this the vocals, the harmonies, they've taken it all and put it into this brilliant track. That middle section that I remember hearing Joe say, like, he went off to have a pint at the pub in Amsterdam, came back, and that's they're like, Joe, listen to this. And they put together this like Star Wars section in the middle and the <laughs> you know, the gods of war backwards, the whole thing. And uh it kind of has become the song in this album that, in a way, for me, anyways represents just like everything the whole album's about the the big production the willingness to experiment the like johnny said they're they're doing stuff that is like nigel green i think had to like manually do those uh like it, it's just again at that time this is cutting edge stuff right that nobody else was doing and you know imagine sitting there and 
you're in a studio and you're putting together this song and it's it's begun from that Joe using that, I think it was Burundi Black, that African tribal drum beat that you're talking about, that this was built around and layering in all this stuff. And plus the fact, let's not forget, this is them paying homage to their heroes, right? They are name dropping one after the other, the glam rock kind of what they became that's that's exactly who they are um they were never a metal band let's have that discussion separately this song sung sums up and i think i think it was phil i remember seeing an interview that he was he said this was his favorite song to play live and i can see why because it's that joy of all the glam rock stuff coming together um you know the the like you said johnny the live experience for this song is i think like almost no other in the set, especially when they do the long version, the proper mm-hmm. album version. Um, but even the short version is great. It's There's an energy to this one live. And I'm so glad we got this as, you know, single number seven. The video is brilliant. I think it all just hit number 12 when it was released. But this one is probably my favorite song to see them play live now, just because of the sheer epic awesomeness of all of it and again women i love it as an opener rocket when they opened with rocket on the 2018 tour here in canada and the screen the, the screens and this curtain comes up and the screens oh my god oh yeah oh my god unbelievable as as song number two i think this works this album is sequenced beautifully in terms of track order coming in after women this is pure genius i think have you got a preference in terms of the album version of Rocket, which has that full big mid-section in, almost like Def Leppard's digital Bohemian Rhapsody section? Or do you prefer the radio edits, which leaves this part out, Chris? 100% full album version. I actually turn up the song when the middle part comes on in the car. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, I think it might be my daughter's favorite Def Leppard song. You should see her jam into this one. Anyways, 100%. It's got to be the, I think the definitive live version is the Sheffield show with Rocket, but Ooh, yeah. it's got to be, it's got to be, I, again, I still love when they play this live. I'll, I'll take Rocket any version over none, but absolutely the album version for me. Uh, yeah, definitely for me, it's the full version. And, and this is a song I can listen to over, the i mean over time i've listened to we obviously listened to it a million times but i still get a kick out of it just listening to it with headphones and just putting ah. it up and closing your eyes and just listening to everything it's it's great it's great it's it's incredible yeah i think every time to your to your point when you i listen i try to listen to it you know i crank it up really loud in the house or in the car with headphones on i think still i almost when especially when the middle comes on or if you know there's those different weird little bits I think I almost pick up something different every time I hear it still. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's so yeah. intricate and complex. And you're like, Oh, what was that? That's, yeah, it's a brilliant piece of songwriting. Like again, the fact they crafted this song and this album into the songs and you know, that they all talk about how mud is like, do it again, do it again, do it again. Like, thank God that. Yeah. Did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that there's a little part where it goes out of the bye, bye, bye. 
it's wow. There's a guitar there and it comes in. Oh, it's just incredible. It's incredible. My misheard lyrics for this one uh, that I can, I mean, obviously now I've checked the lyrics, but now that I, re I remember, I thought it, I didn't know all of these references musically when I listened to the album yeah. for the first time, obviously, because I didn't grow up with any of those bands. <laughs> and, uh, but I thought it, the, the Jack Flash, I thought it said Jet Flash. And the, right. the pre-chorus, I thought it said, uh, I can take you through the center of the dawn. It will sound like that. I will feel you. I will feel you. And it's, uh, I will be you. Or I will be your. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, because it's, I could take you through the center of the dark, but it does sound like dawn. I also want other thing about this song. Just to try and give a little bit of balance. Not that I'm remotely going to say anything negative, but, you know, I've seen some ridiculous things said. In some guitar magazine, they had, like, a top 10 or bottom 10, whatever you want to call it, like, worst guitar solos. And the fella who did it put Rocket in there, and I'd love to just get in touch with him and say, there is no guitar solo in Rocket Mates. I don't <laughs> know what, what bit you thought was the guitar solo. It must be that just bit where it goes, Wow, 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 wow. You know, that bit. Because that's the only bit where there's like a lead guitar just play, but it's clearly not meant to be a guitar solo. It's just part of that big musical break in yes. the middle. So, yeah, apparently, Rocket, the song with no real guitar solo in it, has got one of the worst guitar solos in it, according to some guitar magazine. You might want to do your, um, your research next time, mate. Anyway, right. <laughs> I know Johnny's very excited and wants to talk about the next song, which is track three. It's almost like when we started talking about Rocket and it's being edited out that he just started talking about Animal, even though we weren't on it yet. So we are now on it, Johnny. Right. Track three is Animal. In terms of singles, was the first single for most countries in the world. It certainly was in the UK. Got to number six. This is a bona fide hit. It crashed into top fives, top tens, top twenties all over the world. Chris, I'm going to leave Johnny waiting here. I'm just I'm being mean. I'm going to put <laughs> you first, Chris. What is it about this song that makes it such a both a critical and commercial success? Because I mean, it is to this day. Probably one of Def Leppard's. It's put it this way, in the UK, certainly, it's the Def Leppard song I hear played on the radio the most by a country mile. Oh, interesting. I'm going to say that this alternates for me on this album. This is sometimes my favorite Def Leppard song. Um, so it's, it changes weekly, probably, but Animal has entered into my conversation as top Def Leppard song as well. And I think it's just it resonates with so many people because it's got a, one of the best melodies I think I've ever heard. It's unbelievable. And I, I think this was a perfect choice for a first single um, in the UK. It should have been as the first single here, obviously it's kind of that mid tempo, right. And Joe's vocals on this are so good. Um, it's so good. He's so good on all of the songs on this album, but I love his vocals on animal 
and I love the guitars, but it's still got that big, for a mid-tempo song, it's not a full-on rocker, right? It's got that big sing-along chorus, right? Live, uh, I think it's definitely one of the best perceived songs in the live set for sure. Um, usually occurs earlier on in the evening, but um, it's one that over the years has stayed with me in terms of, um, you know, emotionally, I go back to it. If I'm needing a Def Leppard, I mean, they're all pick me up songs, but if I'm really like, really need to hear a Def Leppard song, maybe I'm not in the mood to like go full bore, like, yeah, rock, but I need something that's just going to lift me. Um, Animals just got that kind of like, there's a spirit about it that just kind of lifts you up and brings you to another place. And I don't really know how to necessarily, you know, vocalize that or talk about it but it's it's more of a a feeling that it builds up inside you and then you're singing along and uh i love the little bit at the end too where they tease you that it's cut off and then they come back in roaring with it and on the extended mix i think they do it a couple times and there's a bigger gap um but it's uh it's one of those songs that's timeless truly like it's a timeless timeless song that if you were a Def Leppard fan before you know, you might view it as, okay, it's a little bit of a slower one, but it's still got some rock in it and I really can get into it. And for the people who were hearing Def Leppard for maybe the first time, this might have been really a kind of gateway into the world of Def Leppard from the people that were just hearing Hysteria for the first time. And this is, again, the first single from a band that had been around or hadn't been around for four years that it probably kind of looped in and enticed in almost more of the pop crowd in a sense, because it was, it's accessible, right? Like it's the song that everybody can enjoy. Just, just a brilliant piece of songwriting and production. Well, what you said about it then, Chris, it's got a spirit to it. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I think the video helps with that sort of yes. feel to it as well, because it's just got a sort of summery spring, breezy, uplifting feel to it. And whenever I hear that song, it immediately puts me in that happy place. Yep. Johnny, I know it puts you in a happy place. Tell us what you think about Animal. Oh, yeah, as I was saying before. <laughs> um, yeah, to me, I just picture myself, you know, driving in the car, like a yeah, highway, yeah. you know, top-down, sunny day, and just relaxing and listening to this f- full volume. And and that's the, the vibe that I get. I get that summer vibe of when we were, kids i don't know then we're carefree attitude and you know you just get that sensation even now you know and i completely agree with you chris i this is a song that i gravitate towards when i feel in the need of just getting my spirits up or whatever and um i think that uh if this is obviously a pop song played by a rock band and but it's so well executed because there's rock bands that have played pop songs that you know don't can't you know they don't I don't know. They can't. They they don't do it in the same way. This is brilliantly produced. I completely agree. The vocal, the vocal performance by Joe is incredible in this song. And I think the the that this is a a recording from the previous session that they just heard. Oh, this is a great vocal. Let's just leave that and do the arrangement around that because it sounds really cool. And you can tell that the production is serving his vocal line. It's 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 serving the song obviously, but it. It just sounds great. And the introduction to, to Animal, the whole intro instrumental part is great. I think it's 
incredibly well produced that whole um, um and that riff how it goes in and then it everything comes out and there's a little clean guitar underneath in the verses yes. that i think it's oh incredible and it and it's never the same. It, you get these high little squeaky notes from time to time. You, you, it's not mechanical. It changes a little bit. So that's what makes it so great for me. And uh, there's this whole part where they're using an Ebo that I don't know if you know what an Ebo. It's one of these things that can, looks like a stapler. Oh. And is that where it fit, gives a, just like a sustained note that just lasts forever? It sustains a note. And uh, Phil has this in his guitar now, and he doesn't have to use an Evo. You have to put this on a string, and it gives this sound. And it goes on forever. And those sound like if they were synths on the song, but it's not a synth. It's this... Ebo going notes and just orchestrating it, which gives us this, it gives us a space and it, it's really cool. It's it's lower in the mix, but it gives that ambience that I don't know. It's great. The whole song is is great and how it goes and how it builds. The chorus it, it grows and then it comes back again in the verse and then the bridge. It here we go again. Hard rock coming in, you know, and it kind of like catches you off balance and it comes back, but it never sounds like something's out of place. It's so brilliantly well-constructed. It, it's, I, I mean, that's why this is one of my favorite songs. And I just can, I can listen to it er, uh, over and over and over again. And it's, it's just great. For anyone listening, if you haven't already, if you go back two episodes previous to this one, you will hear a full episode about Animal that breaks it down completely and also weaves a lovely little story around it. So go and check that out. That's two episodes before this one. Referring back to our, our previous discussion about songs and misheard lyrics, on Animal, my big one was, I always thought he was saying, I love Animal, but it's actually, I lust Animal. And I found that I out, always... like, recently, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always thought that as well. And the whole, the whole, a wild ride over stony ground. I never knew he was saying that, but I don't know, what did I think he was saying? I think it was like, Oh, I land over stunning out. <laughs> like, that's how I heard it, you know, like, sort of as opposed. But now I can hear it. The, such a lust for life. The circus comes to town. Oh, this is the one. We are the hungry ones. Always knew that. But then this bit on a lightning raid, uh, totally, lightning like, ride. genuinely 30 years of not really knowing what he's been saying there. I hear that as, we are the hungry ones. Oh, the land of me. <laughs> you know, just like, heard it like that. But I sort of quite like thinking of it how I've always thought of these years with all of the wrong words, as opposed to, you know, I'm not finding much value in knowing the right words. When I go and see them in the summer, I think I'll continue to just make sounds yeah. as opposed yeah. to articulate <laughs> words. Yeah, I think so. That whole intro, I thought it said wild, wild light. Wild light. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Over stony clown. I thought it said clown. <laughs> oh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and Molven, like a Molven, that word doesn't even exist, but like a Molven heartbeat. <laughs> I always thought it was a molding heartbeat. Molding, yes. <laughs> yeah, hey guys, it's molding. rock and roll. It doesn't need to make sense. It's rock and <laughs> yeah. roll. 
<laughs> I love it. All right. Okay. So next up is track four, which is the classic ballad slot. If you have a look on uh, most Def Leppard albums, and it's Love Bites. The very reason that this podcast exists. If you go back in time long enough. another single released in July 1988. It's another big hit and indeed, certainly in the States where this is their biggest ever hit, reaching number one. So Johnny, there's so much to say about this song isn't there? Oh yeah. I know this is your introduction to the band so I think that this is the first ballad or power ballad that actually really blew me away and emotionally and I don't know. Obviously, now I listen to it in the production. The songwriting is just impeccable. Everything about this song is great. I know this is we know that this is their number one single. Quite rightly so. I mean, it, 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 it's just a great song. What, what, we can, what can you say about this song? It's just great. The whole vibe, uh, that riff, <laughs> you know, the intro. Very country, though, right, Johnny? Like, yeah, twa- twangy. All these like little twangs and it's very, very country. It's just as very like like the Eagles or Don Henley, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. But it does sound very country. I mean, I know that hard rock bands, you know, kind of like tease a little country like Tesla would do and Poison and stuff, but they would go into like the rockin' part of country. But this is like this is a country ballad in in essence. And but the arrangement sounds just incredible, you know, the guitars and all the space going in and my favorite part of this song. And I think it's one of my favorite musical moments in life is that. uh, That riff underneath Steve's solo and the notes, the bass notes come, uh, how they kind of like take you through the whole solo section and the actual solo. Steve's solo is it's very simple. But there's something about it. It's just, it's magical. It's mystical. I don't know, the tone, the guitar tone, it's kind of like bet- breaking between that clean and distorted sound with a lush, like, chorus and delay and how he's performing it. that exact sound try to emulate it and it's just impossible and and it's it's steve's feeling and how he interprets it and the production and every i mean i can i can just I've, I've cried a million times to that whole section and then when the solo comes in and it's it's a, a you know it's a little slower and then and then the drums pick up and there's these backing vocals with a synth going Ooh, and then that whole ambience is just incredible and it ends with that big riff that round wow what a song i mean this is an incredible song 
high as hell. It's impossible to sing. <laughs> wow. I've heard a million bands try to play this live and it's just they tune down like a whole step, not even half a step. It's just impossible to sing live. The backing vocals are incredible. There is this is a staple. This is like before Love Bites and after Love Bites, not only for Def Leppard, I think for pop in general and all these boy bands and everything that really picked up this production technique. And I, I'm, I mean, I can imagine these bands that really like boy bands or whatever, you know, vocal bands that heard this for the first time and said, wow, we can do something like that. And that would be great. I mean, this is completely left field. I, I don't think any rock band or any band in, in that sense had ever done something like this. And it's just, amazing so this this is a true example in my opinion in the era of the power ballad right because in 1988 we were in the thick of the uh the power ballad era it hadn't gotten diluted yet but this is like true epic level power ballad and i think to this day definitely top three joe elliott vocal performance in terms of it is dripping with emotion. Like you can, especially you put on headphones, you close your eyes. It's like, he's in the room with you. I'm, I'm going to say this flat out. I'm comfortable. I'm a man. Joe is singing me a song <laughs> and I can feel the emotion and the stuff he does on like some of the high bits, the squeaks and stuff that he hits on certain <sighs> parts of the song in his voice, right. Are just like, like pure genius. I think I think it's one of the best vocal performances of the era in terms of a ballad, for sure. This song progresses through the levels of epicness, right? From the beginning and, you know, the quietness of his voice into those soaring choruses. And uh, like I think you said, Johnny, the backing vocals and harmonies on this are like off the charts. How they still nail this live and sound so damn good. I mean, I know they're all great singers, but it's such a hard song to sing, like you said. And this song was, I think, every grade 12 boy's dream at the high school dance was to grab the girl when Love Bites came on, right? Because this was like the summer of, you know, late 1988. And when the new school year started in the fall of 88, oh my God, every high school dance. This is like the end of the night song, Love Bites comes on, you're like looking around. <laughs> got to find somebody to dance with yeah and you know what it's shocking it only went to number six in canada which i'm almost ashamed i'm like oh my god what happened <laughs> what, what's going on um but it's still a part of the show that i love um when they play it live in terms of the rest of the album up to this point again beautifully sequenced because Right after Animal, this is the perfect place to stick this epic power ballad, in my opinion. You've gone through, we've rocked out, we've had a little mid-tempo, we're coming down a bit. We've got now Love Bites as your epic you know, sing-along ballad, and then we're going to get into the other stuff. But this will probably um, stay as obviously one of their most iconic songs and has to be up there for sure when you're talking about you know, any top 10 list of 80s power ballads if love bites isn't included in there then somebody's out to lunch and they're not making the right list in my opinion but brilliant brilliant song yeah like absolutely brilliant going on to track number five
You might have heard of this one. Pour some sugar on me. It was released hmm. as a single around a year after Hysteria had come out. And the well trodden story is that this song and the live video is what lights the blue touch paper for Hysteria and sends sales of this album to stratospheric levels about a year after it's come out. I asked you a really difficult question at the beginning, Chris, about what is so special about the album Hysteria. I'm going to ask you another difficult question. Uh Uh-oh. What is it about this song that's just connected with so many people? Oh, that is such a... That's a good question, Neil. You know what? I think the easy... (laughs) Well, not the easy answer. Immediately what comes to my mind is that this is the song, Pour Some Sugar On Me, that defines a generation of rock fans in the 80s. Bar none. From a simple little riff that joe had to be built into this stomping rap rock glam sing-along you know loud drums wicked guitars this is a song that crossed over that is funnily enough i don't think it really did very well at the beginning with the rock radio crowd that it was actually you know as we know the strippers in uh <laughs> florida that started requesting this on radio little story for you there um, and then they started playing it on on Top 40 Radio. And this was a song, I think, too, at the time that really connected with a female audience that brought in a whole other group of fans into the Def Leppard world. At this point when the album was out and this single got released, is that it was able to connect with the guys still thought it was cool, right? You could still like, yeah, pour some sugar on me. You could chant. You get your fists up. But you didn't look like uh, kind of, you know, to the girls that were in the crowd and the girls were coming out to the show and they loved it. You know, you could still say to your buddies that, you know, Hey, this song rocks. I'm not a wuss, um, but the ladies love it. So, you know, it's, it's definitely, I think if you were to name a song for me anyways, in terms of song that defined, like I said, this album defined the eighties in terms of rock. I think, I think pour some sugar on me was the song from this album that defined the rock song in the decade of decadence. It was just oozing. Obviously, we know the subject matter, oozing sex. It was like everything that the 80s was about. And then that video was just put it right over the top, right? And I, this is numbers. Uh, yeah, I said women and rocket as openers. I think they should open a show with sugar, with the video edit bit at the beginning Right, not the step and sidewalk this way, but start out with the you know all that stuff. That should that to me would be a great new set list opener. Def Leppard guys, if you're listening, taking notes. Next tour. This is why I got into the band. I mean, I heard this song, and I, Neil knows the story. I don't know if you've heard this, Chris, but this is this is why I got into the band. I was in a party in uh, junior high, something like that, and this song came on, and everyone was dancing, and and I the chorus when the chorus came in, I, I just it was I blew me away. It was like, what is this? I just ran to the DJ who was actually the gym teacher and I said, what is this? What is this? And he just so showed me the cover and said, it's Def Leppard, Hysteria, the album. And, and he said, you know, he 
gave me the name of the song, but the noise was just too loud. And I didn't catch the name of the song. I just continued. I went down and I said, okay, I'm going to buy that album. Blah, blah, blah. And I just rocked out to this song. It was incredible. It was just, wow. I know the guys compare it to like Joan Jett's uh, I Love Rock and Roll or We Will Rock You, but this is just, a, it's in another level personally. And I get this reference why it's, it's got a sleazy tempo and the subject is obviously sex and everything, but there's also, it's a very, the chorus is so, you, are, you know, boss, you know, it, it's kind of like, really? <laughs> is that sleazy? But it's great. It's a, just a rocking song. It's great. The riff in the beginning, the. Uh, I have to personally say that for me, the version that completely blows me away is that the version from the the video, the edit, yeah. that whole intro is just, it builds that song with anticipation and it just, it's awesome. The first time I saw the video and I heard that, it was like, whoa, this is a great song, but that just took it to a whole nother level, you know, to me, for me at least. And live, it always transmits great and it it's well-received and everyone's singing and it's thanks to this song that I got into this band and it's very important. And this is in the eighties. And then I don't know if, uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys can't relate to this particular item, but there was no rock radio in Mexico. There was top 40 stations in English and there was obviously uh-huh. we're Spanish speakers. So English isn't our first language. So Def Leppard and especially rock bands, you would have to get into them because of word of mouth. And this was one of those bands that everyone was like, whoa, yeah, this is a really good album. And you would see these albums in record stores. The covers for Pyromania for On Through the Night are so iconic. And when you'd see Hysteria, the cover was there is, is very iconic. But that's one of the things that would kind of like pull you into these bands. And Hysteria, obviously, the cover is very appealing. But to me, this song in particular is very important for me. And I know it's very important for the band because it obviously took them to superstar level. And we know that they shipped 450,000 copies in the States for in one day for this single. You know, it was wow. Incredible. You know, uh, this is their most uh, played song in Spotify. It's it's just iconic. It's thanks to this. And obviously, this is the most and there's websites devoted to misheard lyrics. But this one is the one that takes one the takes prize. <laughs> I thought uh, living like a lover with a red R phone. I thought it said red R phone. I don't know what a R phone is, but uh, break the bourbon instead of break the bubble. Uh, break the bourbon, which to me made com- total sense. You know, crazy little woman in a woman show. Uh, that's what I thought it said. Uh, of like a video van television woman uh, you, the list goes oh, on and there's <laughs> videos dedicated to this there's a guy on youtube that put uh for the chorus a pour some sugar on me he says poor son shoot your own leg poor son shoot your own leg oh god it's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> it was this song that introduced me to the word saccharin which yeah. means sweet sweet and sugary so Def Leppard did actually improve my vocabulary when I was actually understanding the words uh, that they said. So yeah, it is a great one for misheard lyrics. Do you know one thing I think about this song is that it reflects a lot of the album and particularly this first side in the sense, and you said it, 
Chris, you referred to it as like a rap rock song. So it's got elements of rap in it, but it doesn't or rap style. But you don't right. think of it as a rap song. You don't think of it in the same way as like Walk This Way, Aerosmith and Run DMC. So right. they've taken the basics of rap and then they've made their own thing out of it. And it just sounds like Def Leppard. It just sounds like Hysteria. It's the same with Rocket. You know, they've taken that glam influence, but more of a lyrical point of view, but they've taken, you know, essentially they've lifted a drum beat from like the early 70s, but they've completely made it their own. You don't listen to that and think it sounds like a 70s glam song. It's not like what they do now with like Come On, Come On or Back In Your Face. And it's clearly a nod to it. You look at Love Bites, which has got, you know, that country tinge to it. And it was written very much as a country song or in a country style. Um, when Mutt Lang first bought it to them, but you don't listen to it, and it doesn't sound overtly like a country song. It sounds like Def Leppard's Love Bites off Hysteria, and I think that's why this album is so magical, and what they do really well is better than they've ever done anywhere else in their career. They take all of these influences from everywhere, but they totally make their own sound out of it, which is uniquely this album and i think pour some sugar on me does that as well should we go on to the last track on this side i'm getting it Joe says the song is not about a nuclear war. Okay, track six is the final one. It's yet another single. One side, six songs, six singles. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. The the quality of this side is unbelievable, whether the singles or not, but just the fact that they were all they could be singles takes a certain type of song. Johnny, how much of this song's brilliance is down to Steve Clark's brilliance? This is totally Steve's brilliance. I mean, come on, the the riff, the that's so simple. It's a two note line, but it's brilliant. And that the riff and the verse, the oh, something like that. I, I but anyway, it's just great. It's it sounds kind of like stony, like Rolling Stones. You know, it's it's groovy. It's rocking. It's fun. It's a fun song live. It's just fun to listen to. His solo is simple, but great. And what I really love about this song is the backing vocals. That whole, give me all of your loving. If you listen to those vocals, there's an extended version of, uh, of Armageddon it that you can actually hear the vocals isolated, and it's yeah. so good. It's so good. I think my favorite version of this song, apart from the studio one, is one is the, the Sheffield version that brings a Black Betty, I think, is uh, yeah, yeah, mixes yeah. it in. And there is a version in the slang I think it's a slang special edition where they play in, I don't know, like Singapore or something like that. And it's an acoustic version. They play all these songs in acoustic format. And the backing vocals on Armageddon are great. It's just, it sounds great acoustic. It sounds really, really cool. 
I totally think this is Steve's genius, you know, making it it's G, it's Steve being poppy. You know, mm-hmm. it's not Steve being epic as in Gods of War or something like that. It's just being poppy. And he wow, he just does a great job on this. It, the sound, the feeling of this song is just great. Great way to close side. And even though this is a very technically accomplished album, it does have lots of human elements to it, and just simply things like name checking Steve in it. You know, come on, Steve, get it. And then, and then the solo yeah. starts. There is just like loads and loads of things littered throughout this album that just gives it loads of character and loads of charm. And it's just all of those like little attention to detail. And I think that's why, even though it is such a technically accomplished albums, it's not technology where a button's being pressed and it's something pre-programmed. Loads and loads of human effort has gone into getting the most out of that technology as possible. And therefore, even though that technology is there, there's loads of human spirit, to use your phrase again, Chris, and emotion and motivation sort of behind it. And in this song as well, just like, you know, they take that sort of T-Rexy sort of vibe and whatever, but they just create, as I said, listening to it in the car today, just comes on. It's like, Boom. It's just its own thing. It just exists in its own universe, Hysteria, and this song as well. Yeah, this one is another one that slides in and out of my favorite status um, Def Leppard songs, for sure. Um, really just depends on where I'm at at that various point in my life, but this one's definitely been in there as my favorite Def Leppard song at times. And um, to your point, like I think, Neil, part of the thing that I love most about you know, this album and that song is, like you said, the attention to detail, right? Like the little bits that are all over it. Um, and this song's got a ton of it. It's just a great, it's a great, it's another one that when it comes on, I turn it way up. It's a great party song. It's great live. I really like Joe's performance on this one too, right? Cause he's kind of low in that lower register singing. And um, then it's got the big high choruses again, and the backing vocals, I think, and the harmonies in this are some of their best on the album. One thing I think I didn't mention in terms of backing vocals and harmonies across pretty much all the songs we've talked about on side one are you can hear Mutt, right? Like so many of those high, so many of the high backing harmonies on these songs. Love Bites, too. I meant to mention it on that one, but you know, on all of these songs and Armageddon it one as well you know, Mutt's got such a strong vocal presence mm. on this album, which I think has, again, elevated a lot of these songs and especially the stuff that were all singles to another level in terms of, you know, again, the vocal uh, powerhouse of an album that, that this this is. The, vocal, the vocals are just off the charts from top to bottom. Um, but Armageddon it, uh, again, I love the video for this because it shared snippets of the live footage from Pour Some Sugar on Me Too. And as a finisher for side one, I think, again, <laughs> sequencing, brilliant. I wouldn't change the order one bit. And to finish with Armageddon, it immediately is like, I got to turn it over to side B because, oh my God, I can't wait to see how side B starts. And then we know what happens, obviously, there, but... This was a big, big hit in Canada and the U.S. as well, and I think is another one of those ones that connected with a lot of um, different people in terms of, you know, it it definitely covered the rock guys off. Um, it covered up the pop crowd. There's those pop sensibilities. Um, another really melodic song, right? Like the thing that ties this whole album together for me, and I've said it, you know, since we started, is the quality of song 
And the thing I love about the band and this album is the melody. This is a mm. band built on melodies and the, the masters of crafting melodic rock songs. And I think Armageddon, it is a, a great example of a perfect melodic rock song. We know this album so well. And like anything, when you know something so well and you live with it so for so long, it is easy to take things for granted. But I think one thing, certainly this week when I've been like, you know, playing it a lot and everything, you try and put yourself in the shoes of what it was like to hear to remember what it was like to hear this for the first time. And literally just to do this to go, women, bang, rocket, bang, animal, bang, love bites. Pour some sugar on me. I'm again there. I mean, bloody hell. In a minute, you know what we're going to do. We're going to do the ultimate Def Leppard, the oh. Def Leppard playlist, and we're going to pick the song right. <laughs> but before I torture you with that, okay, I'm going to torture you with something else. This was something that a while back I remember putting on Facebook or Twitter or something. Tell me where the best three consecutive songs lie on this side. So, for example... If you could only ever listen to three songs again for the rest of your life, in order that they're on in this, oh boy. where would you pick? So, for example, you would you could pick Women, Rocket, or Animal, or you could pick Rocket, Animal, then Love Bites, or you could pick Love Bites, Sugar, and now we're getting there. So you've got to pick a three-song consecutive run from side one if they were the only three songs you could listen to for the rest of your life. I've totally sprung this on you. But I don't care. You're gonna you're gonna have to do it. You know, you come into my <laughs> evil castle and these are the things that, you know, are gonna happen. I am gonna torture you like this. And in a minute you'll thank me because it'll make picking one song feel a little bit easier. So, you know, I'm 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 helping you out here, even though it doesn't <laughs> feel like it. Chris looks the most distressed. I'm so distressed. I'm gonna Chris has actually gone red. Chris has gone I, very red. I I, okay. I need another drink. Um, okay, yeah. so so because of that, I'm going to go to Johnny first. Oh, God. oh that's so hard. Oh, this is, I mean, this is this whole side is a greatest hits. You know, <laughs> how can you, how can you how can you choose? Oh, that that's very difficult because obviously, I don't know because oh, that's a very hard question. I don't even know what to say. I mean, you, you because if okay. I, I would say maybe. Uh, uh, animal love bites and then pour some sugar on me, but then I leave out rocket and you know, so maybe okay, rocket, right. animal, and love bites, but I leave pour some sugar on me out, but I still leave woman and armageddon. I mean, my combination would have to be between those four songs uh, rocket, animal, love bites, and pour some sugar on me. But if I only have to choose three, oh god, um, I think I'd have to go. Animal love bites and pour some sugar on me. If I had to choose, you, you absolutely do. You have absolutely to. do. Okay, I'm gonna help you out, make you feel a bit better. I would go animal love bites and sugar. Remember, these are the only three songs you can listen to for the rest of your life. So I think there is appropriate amount of variety in there. Plus, obviously, quality. Just to let you know, you can pick any three songs here. It works, whatever you do. This is a win-win situation. It's a no-lose situation. Chris, what are you going for? So I, I composed myself and I had an epiphany and it actually came to me quite quick. I was like, I can do this easily. You know what? It's women, rocket, animal. It's because to me, um, 
as much as I love the other songs and there is no wrong answer, like we said, I love the way this album starts. That guitar riff of women to me is iconic and I can't imagine not having it kick off anything. So I've got to have it. So it, and because I sh- rocket and animal are two of my favorites that I've got to have any time. It just, it works beautifully for me. Women rocket animal. I think I could live with that for the rest of my years quite happily. Brilliant. So that means the next thing is going to be really easy. Now what we've got to do is pick one song from side one to go on thing in the world yeah to go, <laughs> to go on Def Leppard Pods ultimate Def Leppard playlist which one day will be an actual thing by the way but I don't want to actually put it together until every song's on there but we're, we're, we're rattling through the albums now and so it's not it's only a matter of months away I think Chris what song are you picking and why and then also just give me a contingency second choice just in case we need to get into a world of negotiation. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, you know what? I'm going to actually answer fairly quickly that it's going to be animal for me. Um, as we've clearly, I think stated that for the three of us, I think all three of us agreed on this. There's a spirit to this song that is unmatched. Um, that, lifts you up um, that you find yourself in a different place when you hear it it's a happy place it's made to be played loud with the top down when you're cruising down the road in the summer and to a again if I have to include it as the only song from this album in terms of representing this album and to fans who maybe not are hardcore like us but who want you know oh if you're going to give me a Def Leppard song from Hysteria that you think I'll really like that would appeal to everyone. I think Animal's the perfect choice and uh, no-brainer for me on on this day anyways, a no-brainer. <laughs> Fantastic. I like your decisive action there, Chris. I'm very proud of you. Chris the Rockets Preston, right? Johnny, Dela, Animal, Pena. I wasn't sure where to put the animal in, I'll be honest with you. I tried I tried Johnny Day, Lanimal, Pena, but it was just too difficult. I thought, I, I can't make it work. But anyway, you know what your your secret hysteria name is now, and so does everybody else listening. What song are you picking from side one? Oh, God. Well, yes, as we said, this is, this is a very difficult uh, chore because it feels like a chore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, arguably, I mean, any song could make a top uh, uh, greatest hits list from there. And but if we're gonna do this ultimate um, playlist, I think that I have to come at this from two angles. One is what is like really representative of the band and how it made them grow and everything in in that sense i think pour some sugar on me would be the song that i would decide because mm-hmm. it did bring them into a whole yeah. other level i think that it's a definitive song for them it you can't they cannot play this they cannot not play this song and there's a whole bunch of people that relate to this and when they've never heard def leppard this is the song that they will most certainly say oh yeah i think i've heard that before or i don't know and every time i snuck into like a playlist in a party or something like that i try and sneak this song in and it never comes out like uh, why did you put that song on you know personally i think that animal is the song 
is it's just same thing the spirit of the song the arrangement the songwriting the execution joe's vocal i mean it just gives me goosebumps every time it's a great song it lifts my spirit up uh, this is the song i most listen to off of hysteria so that is more of a personal thing so you know choosing between these two songs is going to be really difficult. be selfish johnny be selfish be selfish, be selfish yeah. like i was think but of yourself be <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna make this fun because i'm gonna ask neil to make this decision so i'm gonna play devil's advocate and say pour some sugar on me so now it's up to you neil <laughs> okay so i would go for love fights <laughs> <laughs> oh. right so so uh -oh. but my contingency choice my second choice would be animal chris what would be your second choice so my contingency choice and i had the exact same thought process johnny my contingency choice is sugar yeah. because as i <laughs> as i've said right it's the definitive 80s rock song so that was my i did the personal and the crowd pleaser too so contingency sugar Okay, and my so, contingency would be animal. <laughs> right, okay. So, to be honest, have you ever seen that meme? I think it's from A Beautiful Mind where you can see someone, like, calculating numbers and they're yes. all going round their head <laughs> and everything. That's what I'm doing now. So, animal has been mentioned as a contingency twice and as a first choice once. Pour Some Sugar on Me has been mentioned once, but as a contingency second, then there's Love Bite. Right, the word animal was said the most. Times, so therefore, yeah. and I'm very happy with us going for animal. Yeah. So, and I want, and I need, and I love or lust, depending on what your hearing is like, animal. And that brings us, chaps, to the end of side one. Before we go, and I know I've kept you for a long, long time. Okay, but I think it's been worth it. I've enjoyed it. I'll come to each of you. Any brief closing thoughts on hysteria as a whole or hysteria side one i think this is a an album that will go down not just as one of the best song written albums in history but also one of the best produced i i can only imagine uh people who listen to this for the first time like in the music business music producers and songwriters and they must have been blown away by this secretly or not secretly they must have said like <laughs> come on there's i mean as you've mentioned there's the joshua tree there's ou812 there's Ratlin hum there's new jersey from bon jovi in 88 appetite for destruction faith uh and these are really big produ producers on behind these albums. You know, you've got, uh, I don't know, you've got Steve Lillywhite for uh, um, the Joshua Tree, uh, Bob Claremont for um, uh, Brian Adams. And, you know, In Excess's Kick is also in the mix. Starship's No uh, Protection, which is produced by this whole team and great musicians. But this album, I mean, once as we were mentioning, once you listen to Hysteria, it sounds completely different. So I, I guess that most of these people, when they heard it for the first time and put on the headphones and just say, wow, what's all this fuss about Hysteria and Def Leppard and blah, 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 and they listen to it for the first time, they must have said, oh, I got to up my game because this is this is something completely different. And I'm just glad that these that our favorite band got to make this album. And they're our favorite band because they made this album and they can completely just uh, kept uh, pushing and, you know, with adrenalize and everything and all these, and they've always been pushing boundaries 
whether it's song wise, whether it's arrangements, you know, they're always taking a risk. And this album took them to the top. Thankful. And I mean, they 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 earned it. They earned it through hard work, going through a whole bunch of negative situations, but they made it through. And that for me is part of the story. I mean, it's not just Def Leppard because I like the music. It's because I like their story and I, I relate to that struggle and that pushing harder every time. Very a working men's mentality. And that's what makes this album timeless. It makes it perfect. It makes it um, enjoyable. And what a great side A. Come on. This is arguably the best. Chris, what's your Jerry Springer final thought on Hysteria? I'll keep it relatively short because I think probably one of, like I said, relatively short. <laughs> one of the biggest compliments I think you could pay any musician band that releases music is the fact that, you know, in this day and age too, where the band has experienced such a rebirth and their legacy has been cemented, you know, in large part due to hysteria, is the fact that, you know, this is an album that you can sit down. Drop the needle. I'm going old school here. Drop the needle on side one, track one, and spend the next 62 minutes, save flipping it over in the middle, spend the next 62 minutes listening to each and every song and experiencing the peaks and valleys through it without having to feel the need to lift the needle press Q or, you know, skip forward through it on your Spotify. Mm. There aren't very many records I know of by many musicians that I think you can actually do that with. And it still is to this day for me. I think there are maybe only two or three records that I do that with where I will listen from start to finish in track order, all killer, no filler. That I think encapsulates the best in terms of paying the ultimate compliment to a musician that their their masterpiece the work of art they created is exactly that a work of art that needs to be appreciated from start to finish thank you chris and if that hasn't whetted your appetite for hysteria side two which if you are listening to this as it's released is only in a few days three or four days from now then we're going to go through side two if you're listening to this beyond that then it's there for you now go and get yourself a cup of tea go and listen to hysteria for a bit just get that out of your system and come back and then you can listen to myself and paul and kurt who are going to be my guests talking about side two chris johnny thank you very very much yeah.